What are you gonna ask for? That's my jacket. <laughs> sure. You can ask for more than a jacket. We're going to the green place. Wait, is your... Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where you can borrow my clothes, but only if you ask first, in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 39, which begins with Max taking back his jacket, and it ends with Furiosa telling Inherit and the others to follow her orders. Wrapping up the week with us and bringing her nerd rage to bear is Casadilla from the Wicked Wasteland podcast. <laughs> hey guys. <laughs> See, it's been quite a rough and tumble week. Yes, yes. There's a lot of uh, rolling around and punching and elbowing and kneeing and dirt flinging. But here at the end of the week, Max leaps to his feet, fully unfettered like he was, and he turns back to look at Nux. And Nux is still on this whole, we're going to get a reward kick. <laughs> and he tries to engage Max in friendly conversation, being like, hey, Max, I want to drive the war rig. What do you want to ask for from Immortan Joe? <laughs> from post-apocalyptic Santa? Yeah. <laughs> I love the conversational nature of this. <laughs> it's like Christmas small talk. Yeah. 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 What do you want for Christmas? You can ask for anything. <laughs> it's like Nux has taken Max out to brunch and they're sitting down with their mimosas and their croissants. And they're like, so what are you going to ask Immortan Joe for? <laughs> oh, <good>. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Nux. He's a nice boy. <laughs> <laughs> he's flying so high right now. And he's about to get literally knocked to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> now, if Max was in a different situation where he hadn't been kidnapped by Immortan Joe or something like that, he could have been in a situation like he found himself back in Road Warrior where he stumbles upon the Citadel and Morton Joe plucks him out of the crowd, kind of like how Iron Bar did with bringing Max up to see Auntie. And then Joe would say, okay, if you go out and you hunt down the war rig with my wives, then I will give you whatever you want. And we would pretty much have a repeat situation of Thunderdome and a little bit of Road Warrior thrown in there. Yeah. Where Max is secretly working for the bad guy and then he realizes it halfway through. And then has to deal with that. I think he might have known it was the bad guy. It's kind of hard to look at a Morton Joe and think, oh yeah, that's the good guy. Yeah, especially with the five seconds of water. Oh, don't get addicted to water. Okay, because yeah, it, yeah, it's not something you need to survive, Yeah, Joe. I don't think Max particularly cares who is the good guy and who is the bad guy. It was fairly clear that Auntie wasn't the good guy. It's really hard to call her the bad guy flat out. But she's definitely not the good guy, but she offered him what he needed. And he was willing to do the thing she wanted, so he took the deal. So if he had come across Immortan Joe in a deal-making sort of way, he would have done whatever. He's not particularly a moral guy. He doesn't care. Yeah, he's chaotic neutral. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> so if Immortan Joe had offered him anything, I will give you your interceptor in prime condition, if you go and help hunt down my wives, Max would have done it in a heartbeat. He doesn't care who is in the right and who is in the wrong. Mm. He has lines, 
that he won't cross, as we saw in Thunderdome. He wouldn't face-to-face kill somebody who was mentally disabled to the point where they can't make the decision to fight. That's his line. Yeah. But that doesn't apply here. He would have gone through with this, no problem. Yeah, he's an opportunistic person, and all he cares about is survival at this point, especially because he's having a psychotic break. Yeah. (laughs) His lines are blurred now. At this point, I think all he wants is to be alone. Yeah. So that he can continue his psychotic break (laughs) in peace and quiet. He's sitting up in his apartment, just trying to be alone, and Nux dragged him out (laughs) into public. All he wants to do is just go back to his apartment, and oh my gosh. Nux is trying to engage him, and Max walks over, grabs him by the lapels, and starts tearing this jacket off of him, because that's Max's jacket. Yeah. Nux can't keep that. That's not his. Yeah. <laughs> and I love how Max pulls it off of Nux, and Nux is like, yeah, sure, of course, have your have your jacket back. You know, you can get something a bit more than it. Like, you can get a hundred jackets. Yeah. But Morton Joe will give you an entire Burlington <laughs> Coat Factory. <laughs> They don't even have Burlington Coat Factories in Australia, but Joe would just give him one. And what I love about this is that after Max gets the coat off of Nux, he has to take a moment to feed the rest of the chain through the sleeve of the jacket. And that gives Aang Herod enough time to just start walking. Yeah. I really like that Nux says, you can ask for more than a jacket. (laughs) He's still completely oblivious. Really? That's it? Like, okay, but, uh... Yeah, Nux is still in a buddy cop movie. Yeah. Well, in that case, it's a good thing that it's Tom Hardy and not Mel Gibson, because if you put Mel Gibson in the buddy cop movie... Oh, jeez. goes a little crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, Max is it's going crazy. Okay, that's true. <laughs> so, Angherid utters a phrase as she's walking by Max and Nux. She says, we are going to the green place. And this is the first time we hear mention of the green place as a concept. Because the wives really haven't had a chance to say much beyond Angherit saying, we're not going back. It's like, okay, we established, okay, they don't want to go back. Now we established they do have a destination in mind. It's not like they're just going off into the desert willy-nilly. Yeah. I remember the first time that I saw Fury Road and they started talking about the green place and all I could think of. Sorry, I'm going to just wander back to Fallout because it's oh, yeah. my obsession. The place called Oasis in Fallout 3, which is a green place in the wasteland. In the capital wasteland, you hear over the radio, Three Dog talks about, have you ever seen a tree? And he talks about a a real live one, and you can actually find this location. And it's green, and there's trees and plants, and it's growing, and it's the most amazing thing, because you don't see that anywhere else in the wasteland. And so when they talked about it, I was like, this is exciting. And then... We see it, and I was like, oh, man, I wonder if it was like Oasis, but somebody took Harold's quest and went (laughs) the opposite direction that I went. (laughs) But I don't know. I thought it was really interesting. I liked that that was, you know, a callback, sort of like always the green place where things are living again is always the goal in a post-apocalyptic movie, and I've I've always enjoyed that because sometimes you get to see it, but most of the time you don't. Well, you mentioned the idea of a green place, and, of course, the first place I think of having watched all of the movies up to this point, is the crack in the earth. Yeah. And it's one of those parallel things where, like, perhaps Furiosa came from the crack in the earth and they call it the green place of the many mothers because all the, the girls hung around there. But honestly, we, we, we've gotten so far beyond Thunderdome at this point. 
<laughs> I don't even have anything to say. <laughs> that look you... stopped me dead in my tracks. I had a line of thought. And then, you, <laughs> and then you glared across the table at me. And I was like, well, I guess I'm done now. But you said beyond Thunderdome. I was like... <laughs> okay, I was thinking about that too. I was also thinking about in Road Warrior... The goal of the compound is to go to another place. I don't recall if they call it the green place. They call it the Sunshine Coast the sunshine because of the coast. postcards. Yes, which is pretty much the same thing. It's labeled as someplace that is better than here. So that's the goal of that movie. And then Beyond Thunderdome, Beyond Thunderdome is the green place. It is the crack in the earth. That is what is Beyond Thunderdome. So... Yeah, these post-apocalyptic movies, I think that is a very common theme of there is a place that is better than here, and we would like to go to that place. And whether or not it actually exists is the variety of post-apocalyptic movies and scenarios and games and whatnot. It's an overlying theme in so many post-apocalyptic things that the grass is always greener somewhere else, and then in this one, they actually just called it the green place. Yeah. Instead of coming up with a different name for it. They boiled it down to its essence. Yeah, I don't necessarily want to keep going back to it, but even in A Boy and His Dog, there was that place over the hill that Blood wanted to go to, and Vic was really, you know, Vic about it. (laughs) (laughs) So, Max turns to follow Angharad, who is walking towards the rig, but he stops because Nux pipes up and says, hey, we're in this together. More specifically, Nux says, wait, it's you and me. And Max turns and he delivers just a solid punch right to Nux's stomach and sends him crumpling back into this little (laughs) ball on the ground. That he stays in, I believe, for the rest of this minute. Yeah. (laughs) He is in a ball on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which I find so pathetic. I know that a surprise gut punch can knock you down, and I'm cool with that. But seriously, you're a warrior. You are a soldier. Man up. He's well, dying. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, he is dying. Okay, Harry Houdini was yeah. considered to have, like, the greatest abs in the world because of all of the escape stuff that he used to do. And he could tense up his muscles and take a punch from literally anybody until the day that someone punched him when he wasn't ready, and I think it ruptured his spleen or yeah, something Yeah, and like he that. died because of it. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. That's the second Houdini callback in the last two days for me. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Rule of threes. Oh, yeah. It's just, You've got it's one more coming. One more. Yeah, it's got to be tomorrow. Because yesterday it was uh, the real Ghostbusters. There was an episode where Harry Houdini's ghost was in it, and I was like, uh-uh, uh-uh. He would have been so mad about that. He didn't believe in the afterlife. <laughs> this is not okay. <laughs> So the real Ghostbusters thought they could trap Houdini's ghost in a ghost trap Um, mechanism? Or did he, like, break out of it? It was, like, one of Houdini's contraptions that another magician had gotten, and Harry Houdini's ghost was in it, and that's how he was able to do secret, like, magic stuff. I wasn't really watching. I was Like, half-watching. I was cooking all the bacon in the world yesterday, Uh. so I was paying attention to that. More than the real Ghostbusters, but that's my Saturday morning cartoons type of thing. Like, if I'm not doing anything else, if I have time and I need something on the TV, I'll put that sort of thing on. And yeah. so that was on. I was like, uh-uh, yelling at the TV, waving my finger. <laughs> that's not okay, guys. You should know better. <laughs> so in an effort to stop Ang Herod from just walking 
off towards the war rig. Max turns and he fires off another three shots. We get to see him fire two specifically, and then we switch our perspective as he fires the third. And I don't know which of the three shots specifically does this, but one of those rounds graze Angherid right on the calf, yeah. right on the part where it bows out. I don't know if there's a specific word for that part of the calf, but yeah, it grazes her. Yeah. Do you think that was intentional? An intentional graze? I mean, that's quite the aiming job. But... I don't think it was intentional. I think he was just shooting in the general direction. Yeah, around to her. To stop. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't seem to be going out of his way to hurt people. He could have shot Furiosa in the head, but yeah. he chose not to. So I think if he wanted to shoot her, he would have shot her. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I think this was an accident. So according to the Glock website, a standard Glock 17 holds that number of rounds. So at this point, he has 10 shots left. So if we feel like counting, from this moment on, he's got 10 shots left. Yeah. So it holds 17? Because yes. seven shots have been fired. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. There's also, you can get magazines that are not double stack. Like those ones, it would be a double stack magazine. You can tell because um, the size of the round is usually the width of the magazine. But, um, and so those ones are sort of zigzaggy inside of it, depending on what state you're in. My state, we're not allowed to have more than 10 rounds in a magazine. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually had counted two and I was like, oh, I wonder. But I mean, it's the apocalypse. Laws don't matter. Right. Right. <laughs> All of these shots causing hair to stop because when someone shoots in your general direction, you stop. stop. <laughs> you stop. Yeah. That's reasonable, especially if they're shooting around you. Especially if they shoot you. Yeah. yeah. And, and Herod, she stops and we get this close up on her and she takes this breath and she's kind of trembling a little bit because she was grazed. Mm -hmm. Flesh was injured. <laughs> and Max mm -hmm. just storms past her. Like, yeah, no. I'm going to the rig. You stay here. Because he's done with these people. Mm -hmm. His day started off just fine. Then they chased him down. They threw him in a cage. They tapped his blood. They dragged him out into the middle of the wasteland. He had to fight these people. Now he's just going to leave. Just screw you all. I'm going home. Capable wants to go to Angherid and check on her. Make sure she's okay. Capable is pretty much, as far as I can see, Angherid's protector. Mm-hmm. You know, the person that's specifically going to help her out. Right. And Furiosa holds her back. Probably not to compound the situation and make it more complicated. I'm pretty sure that Furiosa can tell that... I cannot pronounce her name. Angherid? Yeah. I, I can't say it. It's There's certain <laughs> things I just cannot pronounce no matter what. My brain is like, no, no, that's not how it works. But she's not going to go anywhere. She's got self-preservation. She's also got baby preservation going on. So she's not going to go any further because she knows that pushing Max is dangerous. So she's going to stop and Furiosa knows that she's not going to go anywhere. So she's like, fine, just wait. Capable, it's fine. Just hold on. Give it a moment. Yeah. This shot here at 16 seconds, I feel is another instance where they really had a tricky situation dealing with Furiosa being an amputee where Charlize Theron is not because the way that Capable's, I could call it a skirt. I mean, it's, it's acting as a skirt. It's a piece of fabric that she's tied around her waist. But well, Sarong. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that what a skirt is? It's a piece of fabric around your waist? But the way it's pulled along, like you follow her hip down to above her knee where Furiosa's arm is, and it almost looks to me 
like Charlize Theron grabbed Riley Keough around the leg to hold her back. But I don't know. It's hard for me to really say, okay, is that something that they couldn't edit out? Because of Furiosa's elbow basically encountering the front of Capable's thighs, she's pulling the fabric with the stump and the elbow, so yeah. that would pull it tight too. I don't think it was her hand. I'm just trying to catch them. You know what I mean? <laughs> I want to be clever and find these instances where they weren't able to catch it with CG. You know what I mean? So they achieve this incredible feat <laughs> of technology and art and movie making, and you're going out of your way to find flaws. I assumed that was part of our mandate. That's what true fans do, according this, this to the true. We're watching oh, this movie one minute at a time, <laughs> scouring frame by frame, second by second. <laughs> if I can, I will take glee in doing that. <laughs> so Max, continuing his grumpiness, throws his jacket into the truck. He's not even going to take the time to put it on. He's just going to throw it in there, climb up, and just leave as soon as he can. And while he's fiddling around in the cab, Herod closes her eyes, and I think she's pretty much doing like a mantra sort of thing. She's trying to center herself when she says, we're going to the green place of many mothers. Yeah, I think she's trying to reassure herself because things are awfully bleak right now. Their mode of transportation is driving away, and the... War party is coming up on them. Things are bad. And she just got shot. I'm going to go back to the pregnant mama thing. She might be just trying to chill herself out because you don't want to stress yourself out too much when you're especially in the late stages of pregnancy. She might be like, we're going to the green place with many mothers. We're going to the green place. Let's just chill. Everything's okay. I know I'm in pain. I know everything's going wrong. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. (laughs) And I think it's good that they have Rosie Huntington Wheatley to do this. Did I ever tell you, Julia, when mm-hmm. we were first introduced to Ing Herod here, the story of what um, Michael Bay did to Rosie Huntington Wheatley as a sort of, I guess, walking audition? No. no. So they were doing a Victoria's Secret shoot, and he walked up to Rosie Huntington Wheatley. And of course, he's Michael Bay, so he, he looks like a surfer guy anyway. But he asked her if she could walk, which is a dumb question in and of itself. So... She got into a car with him and a camera crew and everything. And they drove out into the middle of the desert and they dropped her off in the middle of the desert. And then they drove away. (laughs) Oh, like not, can you walk a runway and look good doing it? Can you walk from the middle of the desert to the edge of the desert? That is. So they left her behind in the desert and they drove a distance away, a considerable distance away. And I'm assuming what they did is they thought, okay, we'll drive however far away, set up our camera and just film her walking through the desert towards us. And so she had to steal herself and put on her best modeling, acting, walk thing and walk through the desert, probably in her Victoria's Secret outfit, towards this camera so that she could get driven back to set. She's going to get sunburned. I imagine so. If they didn't have any sort of sunblock retinue during the makeup process. Yeah, that's inconsiderate in a line of work where your looks are your line of work you protect your skin like at all costs you would assume that a director would give an actress or a model a little bit of forewarning like don't be so vague michael bay <laughs> yeah Come on. It, that seems like a very assholey thing to do yeah <laughs> well 
Yeah. <laughs> well, Michael Bay. <laughs> and of course, Nux is rolling around on the ground behind her this whole time. Still in the fetal position, just like, oh, my tummy. <laughs> and before Max goes, like he's starting up the ring and he looks back at these people. And the expression on his face is just one of, I hope I never have to see any of you ever again. I think, though, he looks back, and maybe I'm projecting onto him, like we have done in the past, a modicum of guilt. Yeah. That he is leaving these people behind to be caught by Immortan Joe. And he has no information on who these women are and why they're out here. Mm -hmm. But just by seeing them, you can gather that they are a harem of some sort. Well, he actually knows that, too, because when... um. When Nux hears that Furiosa took the wives, Max is hanging upside down right there, so he knows That's what true. the situation he is. He has the context, yeah. Yeah, so like I, one of the things I have written down here is I feel like a lot of the conflicts that Max faces in all of his stories could be avoided with just a little bit more communication. Because he knows that they're trying to get away from a Morton Joe, so is he. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. He could have teamed up with these girls if he just ran up and said, help, help. Cut the chain. Let's get out of here. And they could have joined forces. I don't know. Maybe they could have succeeded and they could have gotten a little bit further ahead. But, you know, that would have been not as exciting of a movie. But yeah, he knows. He knows this. I think the Max from Road Warrior would have done what you just described. I think the fact that we start with the Max in this movie that we start with, the fact that he is just that man reduced to that single instinct. Yeah. If he had stuck with the gyro captain or a friend of any kind, just another person to talk to, yeah. it would have been an entirely different story. Even a dog. Even a dog. He's a dog meat. Since we're at this shot right here, I, 29 seconds in. I love the skeleton hand that's on the war rig. I like that there because it foreshadows that this is Furiosa's vehicle and only hers. I also like that with the combination of him giving that look and the finger pointing, he's like, screw you guys. I'm going that way. <laughs> yeah. I love that it's pointing forward. And it's on the side of Furiosa that she actually has a skeleton on that side. Yeah, I love it. It makes me laugh. I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah. And I like that she has personalized the vehicle. Not only is the interior arranged for her own specific needs, it's also decorated in a way that speaks to her. Mm -hmm. Especially since there is a pressed tin ceiling mm -hmm. of all the Immortan Joe emblems. Mm -hmm. I doubt that that was her specific choice. That was probably more of a, here, you need a ceiling, I'm putting up this tin ceiling. Yeah. But the gear shift is probably her own choice. The skeleton on the outside is her own decorative choice. And we know the kill switches are hers, too. Yes. I would, I would assume that a bunch of the other hidden weaponry throughout mm -hmm. the vehicle is definitely stuff she put there. On her own. Nobody else knows about it. Continuity-wise, I also like how there are gouges in the door frame from the buzzard attack earlier. Oh, that's right. The saw came straight for that window. And it so the gouges make... are still there didn't make much of an impact did it no not really those are pretty surface i gotta wonder if most of the sparks that were thrown up by that saw were sparks coming off of the saw itself because the door was hardened in some way mm -hmm. well when this rig is built to carry such precious cargo as food and water and mother's milk that it is very well protected mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so max 
puts the roar rig in gear and he starts rolling away. And I know there are many casualties involved with Max stealing the war rig, but right around, <laughs> I think it's second 41 or so, he runs over the hose that's attached to the water portion of the tanker and it just poops right off and is left behind. So any sort of situation later on in the movie where they might need water, they don't have access to the water portion of the tanker. Does all the water drain out? With how much water they were wasting, if they didn't use most of it in the minutes <laughs> leading up to this, I'm pretty sure there's just going to be a trickle of water coming out of the bottom of that tanker until that section is completely gone. Yeah, because the whole thing isn't full of water because the wives are hiding inside of it, too. Yeah, so, so there's a compartment for the wives. There's water in there. There's also a section of mother's milk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I believe there's also a section of produce. Yeah. Oh, yeah, which I think is also where the wives hide during the canyon scene. There's a hidden compartment. There's a large compartment where the produce is, and that's where the hole in the bottom of the tanker is. Okay. You'll see later on. Okay. I've scrubbed through the minutes already because I have to like <laughs> prep them for later recordings, but it is there. You'll see. Okay. So with the prospects of them getting away disappearing in the distance. Furiosa stands up and capable, of course, runs over to Aang Herod to tend to her. And Furiosa does this thing where she steps around and looks at Aang Herod and she says, how does it feel? <laughs> and Aang Herod looks Furiosa straight in the face and says, it hurts. Like, what do you think it feels like? <laughs> it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> I've been more or less shot. <laughs> I have suffered the side effects of bullets whizzing by my body. It does not feel comfortable. <laughs> Do you think this was a bit of a sarcastic or spiteful question on Furiosa's part because of everything Furiosa just went through? Like, you think being grazed by a bullet hurts? Did you just see what happened to me? I took a door to the face. It could be that, or... Again, I'm going to go back to pregnant mama. Maybe she's actually checking, like, how does it feel? Not She's she's not asking about the wound. She's like, how does it feel? Are you okay? Yeah, you're doing good. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it yeah. could be that. I don't know if Furious is spiteful towards the wives. I don't think she is. I don't know if it would be that sort of, like, sarcastic, like, how does it feel? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I know, based on Monday's Minute, she doesn't coddle them. She gives it to them straight. Maybe it's more like a... How does it feel? Because that's what this is all going to feel like. Yes. Yeah, what you feel now by getting grazed, welcome to the foreseeable future. Yeah. Because yeah. she follows that up with out here, everything hurts. Yeah. I actually have that in my notes as well. Like, I'm not saying that the wives had it easy, but being imprisoned as breeding stock by the horrific Morton Joe, but out here, you have to struggle to survive. You're not fed, you're not clothed, you're not kept safe. Everything hurts. You have to struggle and everything is a fight. And this is what you have to look forward to. Yeah. So. It's a different kind of difficult. Yeah, definitely. And so we round out this week with just one of those moments where I don't know why, I don't know how, but sometimes we end on a week on just the perfect note. And this is one of those weeks where here at the tail end of minute 39, Furiosa says, you want to get through this. And then she pauses so that we can look at the other wives and she caps it off by saying, do as I say. And it's such a great line to cap off a three minute chunk. And I know it wasn't built that way to help us out with the podcast, but thank you, George <laughs> Miller, for doing that. 
I feel like it almost reflects a little bit of when Max was in the crack in the earth and he was telling the kids to just listen to him mm -hmm. and do as he says. And I kind of like that that sort of reflection, like, I know more than you. Just listen to me. I've been through this crap. You don't know what's out there. Just listen to me. Everything will be okay. And, you know, the kids didn't. Yeah. Because they're kids. Something that we won't hear until Monday's minute, but it definitely bears repeating when we get to it then. She follows up that line, do as I say, and then we get a couple of other shots looking at Furiosa and the war ring and it whatnot. And then she adds in, now pick up what you can and run. And it's so good. So good. <laughs> I feel like a lot of it is because of Charlize Theron's delivery. And despite the fact that she was just in this knockdown drag out fight, she still has the wherewithal to get back on track. Oh, yeah. She's not rattled. She's not rolling around on the floor in the fetal position like Nux is. Right. Well, she knows that the, that the war rig's not going to get very far. That too. <laughs> the wives don't know that. Right. But Furiosa does. And that pretty much brings us to the end of week 13. Cass, it's been great having you. It's been great being back. It was a lot of fun. Would you like the people that are listening to go somewhere, check out something on the internet that you've done in the past so they can find more of you? Sure. As I mentioned on Monday, I have my podcast, the Wicked Wasteland podcast, which is a Fallout-themed podcast. Me and my podcast partner, Harris, talk about all things related to Fallout and some things that are only tangentially related to Fallout. You can find us on Libsyn currently, and we have an Instagram and a Facebook page. So it's Wicked Wasteland Podcast. You can find us those places so far right now. <laughs> and as for us, when we come back after the weekend, we'll see Furiosa and the wives take off after the war rig. Max is going to discover the rig's secret security measure, and we begin another tense standoff. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit madmaxminute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 39 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.